0: Glad that you are taking some extra time to greet each other today. It's just one of those days where you want to do that and spend this time realizing how cherished fellowship is. Dave, go ahead and come on up. And as you're coming up, I just want to say a brief word about the scripture this morning. Uh, we have two passages of scripture to read and to reflect on today. And they really offer to us a contrast. Um, It's interesting when I hear people say what the Bible says. Well, the Bible says a lot of things. And the reality is, is there are a lot of things that I can take from Scripture, and then if I make that my sole foundation for where I'm headed out, I can go on a lot of different paths. So I'm going to have Dave read to you these two passages of Scripture. They're not in conflict, they don't cancel each other out, but they do have different perspective. I invite you to hear some of that from God's holy word as Dave shares with us the scripture for today.
1: Our first scripture reading will be from the book of Mark, chapter 13, verses 24 through 27. But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, 89. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Second reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the God for the people of God.
0: Thanks be to God. Thank you, David. Join with me in a spirit of prayer. Gracious and loving God, we pray now that your spirit would flow as clearly and evidently as the water, and as a spirit upon the lines. Of Claire and Brianna and upon their families. Bless all of us with an anointing today, with a washing up and a preparing for. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts and minds be found acceptable in your sight. In the name of Jesus Christ, so be it. Amen. So this is congregation participation moment, so I want you to get ready. I'm going to give you a choice, and after I've given you the choice, I want you to shout out as loudly as you can your choice between these two things. Coke or Pepsi? Pepsi. Dog or cat? Dog. I'm sorry. Winter or summer? Summer. Yeah, I thought so. Ham or turkey? Turkey. Critical one now. Werner's or Ginger Ale? Yes. Yeah, buddy. Male or Miracle Whip? Miracle Whip. Oh, yeah. We get a fight going over that one, it sounds like. All right, briefs or boxers? Briefs. Okay, never mind. It's funny when you see a guy start to speak and he has to look at these. Oh, I can't say that. There's some things that we get to make choices. We can make choices all the time, right? I mean, every day, choice after choice after choice. And some of the choices we make are very quick and very simple. When uh, we're so clear about what we think and believe about these things, it's not hard to say Coke or Pepsi. You sort of know which it is. You know, you know whether it's Werner's or ginger ale and so on. Um, you know, Some of those choices are clear. And some of the choices we make in life are so clear to us, they affect everything else that we do. Up in Kalkaska, which is between Gaylord and Traverse City, David Rosenberg has made a choice. He is doing exactly what he knows God has asked him to do. David's story was a subject of an article in this past Monday's Free Press. After a midlife conversion, where he had in his earlier prior life lived, well, pretty hard, hard partying, hard living, and so on. He had a conversion experience. He came to Jesus. And in coming to Jesus, he was very clear what God was telling him to do. And so David turned around his life, became a faithful man according to Scripture, attended a Bible college, and founded his ministry called End Times Ministry. He then started a business entitled Northern Michigan Homestead Survival Products which if you can find it in Kalkaska, it's a place where you pull up to, and it has all kinds of things like freeze-dried foods and items that are not perishable, don't have a shelf life, so that you can stock up because David is clear that God has told him that the end time is near. He's clear that America is about to completely fall apart, literally go to hell in a handbasket, And he believes his mission is to help prepare people for the time when civilization has gone away. He offers classes on how to survive when there are no more stores or electricity or 911 or whatever. His strong belief is that he's been called to help raise up individuals who are prepared to survive the catastrophe to come and to unite them so that while not being survivalists by themselves, they'll become a community supporting each other in the post-apocalyptic era. He's made a choice. Of course, he's made a choice because he has found some of that language as he heard it from God in the scriptures. In those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. These scripture passages that talk about the end time have been in our scriptures from the very beginning and ever since we first received the Holy Word, we've had to figure out as Christian communities how we will react to them, what we will do about those passages, how they would influence our life. Some, like David, see them as primary teachings of Jesus Christ. Others, including myself, see them as a reflection of apocalyptic thinking that was prevalent in the time in which, for example, the Gospel of Mark was written. Forty years after Jesus was dead and resurrected, the Christian community was finding itself in severe times of persecution, literally being slaughtered and killed for their faith. And so apocalyptic language became a part of the way in which they dealt with the stress, realizing that there's evil in the world, but that evil will not have the final sight, and that God will ultimately deliver them from the tragedies. And so apocalyptic language periodically finds itself within the scriptures. Since that time, Christians have had to figure out what that means for them. Survivalists believe that, in fact, the end of the world is imminent, as it has been ever since Jesus Christ first was on the earth 2,000 years ago, and the best thing is to hunker down and plan for the end. What I've come to discover in my life is, though, that survivalists are not the only ones who hunker down and prepare for the end. Predictions of the demise of the church, the relevance of a faith community have been circulating for years. All my ministry, all 35 years of my ministry, I've heard language around the demise of the denomination that I serve, the churches that I lead, not the ones that I lead, the churches around us. I'm just here to tell you there's a difference. I don't mean the difference is me, the difference is healthy ministry is healthy ministry. Those churches thrive. That's why you're thriving. And I've been in other places where people talk about the fact that no longer has any vitality or vibrancy to it, even churches close to me and close to my heart that I love so much, are basically just waiting until the last one dies and they turn off the lights and lock the door. There are those who would tell you that the future is bleak for the faith community, and the best we can do is hold on, try to maintain status quo, I've heard this, and I've read this, and I have encountered it in my work with other congregations. And whenever I come into those moments, I am mystified and heartbroken because that story is not the story I know. It's not my experience. There's a disconnect. Because for me, I also go to Scripture, but unlike David Rosenberg, I find in Scripture and in my experience of the faith community a vision, born out of Scripture, prayer, and experience, it tells me that the faith community in the future is filled with health, life impact, and relevant faith that deepens the spiritual walk of all who encounter it. You see, when I come to the Scriptures, I don't come to the Scriptures and become afraid of what the end time is going to look like. I come to the Scriptures and get captivated by this man named Jesus Christ who walked and lived in the world in a way that talked about vibrancy and abundant life and hope. Um, uh, Jesus Christ, who was a real person, not some namby-pamby picture of a, a preacher who has nothing relevant to say to anybody, but rather a man who lived on the streets with intentionality, who affirmed the tradition of his faith, but could talk to anyone about anything, and listen to anyone, and respect all, and have a message of hope, A message of affirmation, of respect, and deliverance, and ultimately salvation in whatever way it meant salvation for them and as God gave it to them. See, I'm captivated. I'm drawn. I am radically sold out to that Jesus who dares to say to the most downtrodden, disrespected, and dismissed person in the community, you are a person of value and worth, and you are the one whom God loves most. To say to the world, I have not come to destroy it, to make sure that all of you in it can live life and live it abundantly. It's this Jesus Christ who took the time to listen to the stories of everyone and accept them where they were and love them as they were and then love them to be something more than they could see in themselves that I witness. This is the same Jesus whose eyes are wide open to the truth the injustice, the brokenness, the challenges, but who faced them all with courage, conviction, and faith, who stared down even death and said, you will not have the final word over me. That's how this concluding passage from Matthew even gets a chance to be spoken. Jesus has resurrected from the dead, and he's about ready now to leave the world to go and ascend into heaven. The disciples will never see him again. This is the final moment. And Jesus looks down, and who's he looking at? He's looking at a group of guys who have already failed him multiple times. He's looking at a group of guys who are not trained for anything other than manual labor. He's looking for a group who have absolutely no skill sets, though it's anyone suggests that they're capable of accomplishing anything task to fulfillment. And he looks at them, and he says, Now well, listen, guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out into the entire world baptizing in my name and making disciples of the way of life that I have taught you and lived in front of you and you are the guys who are going to do it. See you. Bye. His saying that to those folks in that moment leads me to one of two conclusions. Either Jesus Christ was a delusional fool or the Son of God. 2,000 years later, we sit here today to sing praise, to read scripture, to dare to baptize children into a new hope, and we must know this to be true. It's for me confirmation. He was the Son of God. And the way he saw the world, the way he saw the future of the world, is exactly the truth that I want to live into. It's exactly the truth that drives me, compels me and calls me today to know that I do not live anticipating the end of the world. I live with the expectation of the glory that's being revealed now and about to be revealed in the time to come, meaning like tomorrow. And it's our choice, your choice and my choice, whether we're ready to embrace that truth, whether we're willing to listen to the lies that tell us that we've already screwed up enough and the world screwed up enough, not much can happen or whether we believe that it is possible for new life, new creation, and new power to be released. I've made my choice. And it's in the name of this Jesus that I call this congregation, each and every one of you, to live in radical expectation of what Christ is going to do through us and with us in the days to come. I'm not going to ask you to hunker down and hold on to status quo. I'm going to, in the words of Jesus Christ, dare to ask us to change the world for his sake, to make disciples wherever we encounter them, and to establish the kingdom of God for as far as we can go, as long as we can go, and beyond that, where Christ will take us. Now, every congregation throughout history has had to figure out how they were specifically and personally going to fulfill that mission. Here we decide to say it this way. We're about the business of vitally connecting people to people and people to God. That means that our intent today is to make sure that not only that you walk out of here being blessed with, with the opportunity to hear music and preaching, but rather that you walk out of here with relationships with each other and with Christ that will sustain you in the days to come. And that mission statement has no limitations to it. It does not say... I'm committed to vitally connecting together the folks who are already connected together. Let's just sing Kumbaya and be happy with each other and shut the door. It does not limit the connection to other people who happen to be just like me, but rather it is a calling for us to connect with every person everywhere that we can encounter with respect and dignity and hope and joy and invite them into the dance of faith that we've come to know and celebrate. For me, most recently, over the last couple years, I've been using the term ministry expansion because that's how I think of it. Ministry expansion is internal work and external truth. Ministry never expands unless the soul and the heart of each individual and family in this church grows in a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. No one in this room, especially confessionally and completely clear to me, the one speaking to you right now, has all that I need or will ever need to know about Jesus Christ. That journey is way ahead of me. But I'm committed to growing deeper into it, and I'm asking you to be committed to. I'm also asking you to understand that as we grow in that deepening relationship with Jesus Christ, there is nothing about Jesus that tells me it gets to be just Jesus and me. It is always Jesus and we. We are called to reach out and to begin to love in ways we didn't know how to love before. To give forgiveness in ways we never thought possible. To experience mercy in a death we never knew could ever occur. And establish justice in places where evil wants to say, you don't have a chance. As our personal faith grows, and as we spill out our faith to others and make deeper connection with each other, we understand that our ministry is a unique one in this sense. It is not our job, it is not my job to take Jesus to somebody else. Because guess what? He's already there. I don't need to go and take Jesus to my neighbor or to another neighborhood or to another community. What I do get the privilege of doing is taking the Jesus I know and meeting the Jesus and the others God introduces me to. And in the sharing of their experience of Christ and my experience of Christ and the awareness that I can help them see where they couldn't see Jesus before in the same way they helped me say where I couldn't see Jesus before, all of us grow deeper in faith and as a community of faith across the miles and the other distances that may separate us. As we connect with each other, we do so out of respect. We do so humbly and eagerly and hungrily that we can grow and change. And here's the thing that also happens. As others come into the life of this congregation, it's not about making them be like us. It's about growing into the new creation that God is making. Every time a new one comes in, we're changed. We didn't baptize Brianna. We didn't baptize Claire today thinking we have all we need to know to indoctrinate them. We did set them up. I have no belief whatsoever that I want to do anything to say I want Brianna going out into the world and just sort of figuring it out for herself. I don't want that for her. I don't want that for Claire. I don't want that for my daughters. I want them to know Jesus Christ coming right out of the chute. But as they grow up, They will come to know a Jesus that I don't fully know because it's their journey, it's their experience, and I will love when they come back and teach me what they know. That's what this ministry is about. It's about connecting with each other so we all grow together in faith. Now, how will this occur? How will we experience ministry expansion in this church? Well, it's the same way the disciples experienced it. They didn't have a clue to know what to do. The only thing they knew what to do was to understand they had to stay close to Jesus Christ and understood the world and the future was in Christ's hands, so go out into it and boldly just proclaim the best way they knew and trust God for the rest. And so we will do the same. We will be completely committed to our mission. We allow and challenge each other to grow deeper in faith. And we will trust completely in Jesus Christ to be the source of our power and strength. We will not hunker down and play it safe, and hold cards close to our chest, and be just uh, so careful because we don't want to go too far, because I'm here to tell you, after years and years of study, I've yet to find in the Gospels where Jesus said, play it safe, don't risk, don't have too much faith. What he said was, over and over and over again, do not be afraid. Stand in the name of Christ and experience the power and glory that's going to be released on you when you do. When I work in the lives of other congregations, which I am not privileged to do, and with other church leaders, clergy and lay alike, who tell me stories about their congregations where they can list far longer what they can't do and what they're no longer able to see possible, than what they can see possible breaks my heart. When I come here and I hear the stories of lives that are being changed, And new opportunities where people can experience Christ in different ways, in new ways. I believe that we are on the path of where Christ wants us to go. We're already experiencing the work of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to conjure up what would it look like one day. We have to look around us and celebrate it and continue to live it out. The examples of growth and life-changing ministry around us is clear, and we're going to be talking about those a lot in the next few weeks. But I want to share this with you. This last week, Colin Godfrey, our executive director, came into a meeting, and he'd been looking at some minutes of something called a study committee that we'd started, and I want to say five or six years ago. My master, Debbie Schneider, had it. it's five or six years ago. Am I right close to that? We'd started a study committee. To think about the health and ministry of the church and where we were going, what we were about. And we started to try to create some hags. You know what a hag is? A hag is a hairy, audacious goal. It's the kind of thing you dream about that, man, if only that could happen, and you have no clue of how it's going to happen. I'm going to lose 103 pounds between now and April. Hairy, audacious goal. <laughs> well, we had created some hairy, audacious goals. and One of those was we, we believed that Christ wanted us to reach out to more people. We w- thought that maybe it would be good if more people could experience the vibrancy of Christ in worship. So a hairy, audacious goal that was larger than we thought we could accomplish five years ago was that in 2014, last year, we would average 530 in worship. We did not hit that goal. In 2014, we had 578 average in worship. This year, five years ago, our hairy, audacious goal was to have 580. We will exceed that. It's not about celebrating numbers. Jesus never measures the kingdom in numbers. He measures whether lives are changed, whether people are blessed, whether God is served. That's the celebration of those numbers. I also celebrate with you the fact that as I walk around, the ministry and potential mission field around us is exhausting. Any Sunday, the best Sunday when this room is filled to capacity because no one's traveling and the weather's nice, get in your car and drive around. Guess what? There are still people not in church. Had you noticed? (laughs) Did you notice the fact, and maybe you aren't aware of the fact, that the truth is this. If you take a a look at a map and put Clarkson United Methodist Church in the middle of your circle and do a 10-mile radius... Three hundred thousand people live in that ten-mile radius. Only about thirty-five to forty percent of them are active in a faith community. Okay, that's too big for you. Even though we do have people driving more than ten miles to come to worship, do a five-mile radius. That's fine. Five miles—that's from here to the to Great Lakes Crossing. Okay, do a five-mile radius. You know have people in that in that category in a five-mile radius. Seventy-five thousand people. Most of whom are not in a faith community. Now, here's my point in all that. I know that not all those people will ever come to church. I get that. Do you realize the headache it would be if seventy-five, five thousand people showed up today for worship? I'd love to see what happened to the people at coffee hour if that were to occur. That would be a moment. And I know that not all of them should come here. I'm thrilled for every ministry that is successful no matter what its theology might be, because they're helping people come closer to Jesus Christ. If we could get seven big new box stores to move into Clarkston, you know, those big churches, you know, mega churches, please let them come, because they will reach out to a large number of people, and once they do, we'll still have thousands and thousands of people we can reach out to, and we will have a unique voice for, and a unique way of presidenting the gospel for them. That's good news. I pray for the health of every ministry that's here and to come in the life of this church because every healthy ministry strengthens every other healthy ministry. I can document that. Faith communities that are healthy, relevant, and welcoming will thrive in the years ahead. I know that's true. It's always been true. And our competition is not other churches, past, present, or future. Our competition is the part within ourselves that says let's be careful Let's not go too far. Let's not trust what Jesus is calling us to do. That's the danger point. Now you know that we're in a phase where we're going to start building a new building, and I know you're thinking about that, and I want you to be, but I want you to hear a couple of things from me first. I want you to think about the new building as a tool. It's a tool for ministry. You know, I really don't care. I really don't care about the building. Apart from the fact that I know that in the walls of that building, we will make disciples for Jesus Christ. I don't really look forward to the day we unlock it, it's all shiny and pretty. I look forward to the day when it's all scratched up and worn out because folks have been running through it and folks have been being touched by it. I hope the youth group breaks some windows in the new building. Can I just be honest with you? You have my permission. And then you talk to the trustees, but I'm given you permission. <laughs> on the farm where I was raised, every once in a while we would get a new tool, like a new shovel. You never had you ever held a new shovel in your, I mean, a brand, I mean, still got the sticker on it? I mean, it's shiny. It looks good. And you know, you won't do a lick of work with a new shovel. You've got to keep it nice and clean. You know, the first time you scratch up and ruin an old, a good shovel, it becomes a really workable shovel. Because you don't care anymore. That's what the new building is. It's a tool for changing lives for Christ. What will it look like specifically? I don't know. You already heard, I don't care. We will build what we can afford because we will be radically sold out to Jesus and trust Him, but we will also do what's faithful stewardship. So when you raise money and tell us how much you've got to give, we will build to that number. Because when I retire here in eight years, or nine or ten, or I don't know, We'll see. We'll see how good you guys are in the next day. When I retire here, we'll be—I'll be retiring with a ministry that's thriving and debt-free. That's my promise to you. Because after we build this building, we've got other places to go and other people to serve. That we cannot be slowed down. Do you hear me? So, how will all that occur? Occur the same way the disciples stood there on that day and said, How are we supposed to do this? And they said, oh, I guess we ought to just put one foot in front of the other and trust Jesus and make a choice. When I was in North Carolina last week playing with grandbabies, I almost didn't come back. <laughs> Dean Smith died. You know Dean Smith? Uh coach of the University of North Carolina Tar Heels basketball program for many, many, many years. As a graduate of Duke University, I was trained to hate Dean Smith with a pure passion. And I did. At least that was until he retired, and then I could not hate him so much and respect him. He was a great coach. I mean, he came up with the four corners, which drove me nuts, but that's another story. But when Dean Smith dies, and you're in North Carolina, that's a big deal. And as they did tribute after tribute about Dean Smith, you know, a little bit, but not much was about the national championships and the ACC championships. Not much at all, really. It was about how he changed lives for Christ. Did you know that? In 1961, when he went to the University of North Carolina, as their first, his first year as head coach of the basketball team, they had a losing record, and they wanted him out. They wanted to fire him. But in that same year, Dean Smith, when he came in to take on this program in North Carolina, this is three years before Selma, can I give you that reference point? He moved in to Chapel Hill and with intentionality attended an African-American church so he could be part of an interracial faith community because he believed that's the kind of church Jesus was calling him to be a part of. And three years later, when Selma was happening, he brought the first African-American player to the University of North Carolina as a scholarship player, because he didn't care what color he was. He made choices all along the way in his life. So the main thing always stayed the main thing. You get to make a choice today. What is your tomorrow like? Are you hunkering down, trying to hold on to status quo, not trusting that God could make tomorrow far exceed any dream you ever held? Or are you willing to trust that Jesus actually knew what he was talking about and that for you tomorrow, whatever challenges you're facing in your personal life, you know that you serve a Christ who is greater than them and who will take you beyond them to a glory that you can't even imagine about right now. As long as I'm the pastor of this church, the senior pastor, I make this very clear statement to you. I will serve a Jesus Christ who tells me that tomorrow is greater than yesterday and today is the opportunity for me to make a choice for tomorrow to be faithful according to Christ's purposes. I will not stop or rest until we have done everything we can and know how to do to reach out to as many people as possible, to connect them to each other and to Jesus Christ because that's what God has called us to do. And I don't know all the details, but I know the one who's called, and I know the one who's moving, and I know this water, and I am unafraid or undeterred. Thanks be to God for the victory that is ours in Christ. Amen.